how do you make your game space more accessible? Not just allowing people you know, to make it into the building, but making them feel welcome once they're there. Welcome to Gaining Advantage. Welcome to Gaining Advantage. We're using role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons to help you make lives better. Now, before we get into our announcements like we usually do, I just want to take a moment. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff going on right now with, uh, with everything that's going on on Twitter. And so this is specifically for uh, those of you who are Dungeons & Dragons creators, writers, artists, publishers, uh, anyone like that. You know, I've learned a few things um, in the past couple of years that I've been working in the industry. Uh, and this includes talking to a lot of people that have been in it a whole lot longer than I have. And I know that with everything that's happening on Twitter right now, there's a lot of concern about uh, what does this mean for the industry as far as creators and, and especially someone who's just starting out and is worried that uh, Twitter is just going to get worse. They're not going to want to go there. And how are they going to make connections and, and, and market their products and things like that? And so I just want to share a little bit of information with you, maybe uh, calm some fears and even offer some advice that uh, may actually help you uh, regardless what happens um, on what I like to call the Angry Birds app. All right, so Twitter is a good place to connect with people. It's a terrible place for marketing. We've done a lot of, of studies. I've talked to a lot of people. I've, um, and um, if you're trying to sell or promote stuff, uh, you're not really going to get a whole lot, you, a little bit, but not much. It's, it's really not worth a lot of effort. All right. But it is a good place to make connections, to, to get to know other people in the industry. However, if you want to use it for that, and, and actually get your name out there as someone who wants to make money in the industry by writing, by creating artwork, by editing, or, um, or, or by publishing. You can do it there, and a lot of people do. But it's a lot of work, and there are easier, more effective ways to do it. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. All right? When you're on Twitter, you're, you're trying to make connections, but it's kind of an awkward place. A lot of times the stuff that you talk about um, or the, the, the comments and, and the things you do there just kind of get buried and nobody sees them. I, even when people do see them, uh, it's, it's a flash in the pan and then it's gone almost instantly. And uh, even some of my more popular tweets, um, you know, I might get uh, 1% of the people that like it will turn into followers. I mean, it's not much, and and so it's it's a very slow, uh, difficult climb to to try to make those connections, right? So let me offer an alternative, right? And that alternative is Discord, all right? If you get on Discord, the best place to start, well, two things. Number one, get on on Discord and join the Drive Through RPG Discord. All right, there's also a private one for DMs Guild creators. And if you talk to any DMs Guild creator, um, you can find somebody that can help you get on there or send me a note and I'd be happy to help you out if you seem to be um, honest and legit about what you're hoping to do. They, they keep it private to keep the bots and things off, but it, it's open to just about anybody that is interested in, in the process. All right, and so 
that's the one thing. Get on those discords and start getting to know the other people in, in the field. All right. They will help you out. They'll be able to answer questions for you. You also get a chance to get to know people and, um, and, and figure out who you want to work with. Because this is the just as Dungeons and Dragons is a cooperative game, so this industry is a very cooperative industry. It's very unique that way. Um, really, the most important thing when it comes to marketing or, or just success overall in, in all kinds of ways uh, is cooperation with other people in the industry, other creators, and, uh, and not so much competing, which is beautiful and, and something I really love about the industry. All right now. While you're doing that and getting to know people, also get some stuff out there. All right. There's a class that you can take that's very affordable. And in fact, there's also scholarships to be able to take it for free uh, called Write Your First Adventure. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Take that class. I highly recommend it. Even if you have experience in writing, it tells you a lot about how to write adventures specifically for role-playing games and there's there's a couple different versions of it if you want to write specifically fifth edition stuff for dm's guild or, or whatever and uh, so you can check that out all right not only will you learn some tips on there you'll also get access to a lot of resources and uh, just things that are really helpful to let you know what you need to keep going all right it's also how I found out, found out about the DM Skill Discord. Once you do that, start writing, start creating, create some stuff and post it. Now, the next question is where do you post it? Before you answer that question, you need to make a decision. Are you, with your plans for, for how you wanna establish yourself in the industry, do you wanna do freelance work? Or do you want to be the publisher? All right. If you want to sort of make the decisions about the, the big projects and, and what they're going to look like uh, and, and things like that, and you're interested in marketing and, um, and project management and, and all of those sorts of um, administrative kinds of things that go along with it, then you want to go the publisher path. Right. If you say, well, no, I just want to, I want to write adventures or I want to create artwork or, you know, or, or, or something like that and you want other people to hire you and give you money to for your work all right then you want to go the freelance route all right? and this makes a big difference on on this next step right? because if you want to if you just want to be a freelancer and you want to write especially if you want to write specifically for dungeons and dragons then you're probably better off posting your stuff on the dm's guild it'll get a lot more exposure you'll get sales more sales than you would elsewhere and um and 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 I know that I, as uh, as a publisher who writes for or, or who creates fifth edition materials, um, when I'm considering somebody or I'm looking for for someone for a project, all right, I look on the DMs Guild. Um, if someone if if they send in a freelancer application, and we have those on our website, if anyone's interested, the first place I look if they don't submit a portfolio link with their content, uh, and even if they do, sometimes um, I look on DMs Guild to see what products they have there. And I, because I want to see what kind of quality material uh, are they producing. And, and that's the best place for me to look as a fifth edition creator and publisher. But if you want to produce for other systems, um, like Powered by the Apocalypse, or you're, you want to create your own uh, system or, or anything like that, 
then you can't put it on DM scaled because that's 5e D&D only. And so you have to put that up on drive-thru RPG. But that's fine. Do that, right? If you want to be a publisher, if you want to make the decisions about what kind of content you're creating and, and putting out there and, uh, and, and build your, shall we say, company brand, right? Not in a sort of sterile, uh, cold corporate kind of thing, but just to, um, to get to know people what you're about, then you want to post your content to drive through RPG, right? And the reason for that is that even though you'll actually initially make less money there, what you'll do is you'll build a customer base because on DMs Guild, you cannot, you have no way of contacting the people that get your products there. Even if you're sending out stuff for free and you want to say, hey, if you like this, you might like some other stuff. I mean, you can't do it, right? And there's no way to contact them. You can't even update the document and, and put a link in the document that like they won't get a notification that it's been updated. And so there's no way at all to contact the people, um, even even to let them know that you made some fixes and typos in the document, in the, the adventure or whatever that you created. And so if you want to be able to actually connect with your customers, whether whether it's because, you know, you put a $1 uh, subclass out there and um, and you want to let them know that, that you updated things so that you have another $1 subclass or even that you have free stuff that you're putting out there right if you put it up on drive through rpg there is a way to actually contact to to send out emails to usually it's about half of the people that uh that download your things based on how they have their account settings and so that is a great way to get started because then you can let them know about new things you have going on and then if you want to point them to other stuff that you're doing, like Kickstarters or stuff that you're doing on your own website or anything like that, then you can just put an extra little document in with the main PDF or whatever it is that you're posting up there uh, that has information, that has links and stuff. You can't put the link in the document in the description, but you can put it in a file that's that's extra, even if it's at the at the end or the beginning of the uh, adventure or whatever it is that you created. So by getting your content up there, that becomes your portfolio or your resume. Uh, if you're an artist, uh, just putting stuff up on ArtStation or or, um, or or places like that is a good thing to do just so you have stuff out there so you can show people what you can do um i also discover artists through drive through rpg that post stock art there and if i find stock art that where i'm looking for something in particular and i find an artist uh through their stock art and i say wow i really like their style or this is the particular style that i'm looking for for this project uh, i'll reach out to them and, and contact them and say are you looking for commissions and uh, so that's another place I recommend put your art up if you're an artist. Uh, and you probably make a little bit of money too on it too. So then once you have your, your content out there, wherever you decide to put it, then you can connect with, the, uh, with other creators, right? There's on, on those discords that I mentioned, there are a lot of open calls for uh for writers and, and artists and editors and things where or someone wants to do a collaborative project and so they they put a call out and they um and they they tag writers and they say this is a project 
want to do. And if you're interested in writing for this, then contact me. And, and they'll have all the information there and uh, creates a separate thread and, and stuff. But anyway, once you have your stuff out there, you know, even if, even if nobody's got it, but you feel like it's good quality material and just nobody happened to find it, then you can say, I'm, I'm interested in this. Here's what I've created so far. And then whoever's in charge of the project will look at it and say, and, and you know, and decide, and, and hopefully they'll they'll say, yeah, I'd love to have you on the project. Or for that matter, if you want to start something, even if you're just doing it as a writer, you, you're not going the whole publisher path, but you just think it'd be fun to to collaborate with some other creators and and you know create some kind of themed uh, you know collection of adventures or whatever it is, you can do that. And and so it's a great way to get to know people and, and establish yourself. And then as you get involved in some of these collaborative projects, you get to know other people in the industry. Uh, what happens is you're building that resume, you're building those connections, and it's so much easier and more personal than it is on Twitter. And there's a much better chance that when you say something, that people are actually going to see it. So then as you continue to grow through that, all right, number one, you're going to get better at what you're doing because you're practicing, you're learning, you're learning from other people that have more experience than you, right? that have learned from their own mistakes and, and are happy to share what they've learned with you, are happy to answer your questions, are happy to look at your stuff and, and, um, and offer you advice and, and things like that. And so once you do that, you build that rapport, you build that catalog, then as time goes on, if you're interested in connecting with larger publishers, then you can go to them and and say, hey, I'm interested in working for you uh, and being considered as a writer for a future project. Now understand that the bigger the publisher, the further out they're working. And so it might be, you know, two years or more before they even consider anything that um, you or anything you've submitted because they already have staff lined up. I mean, I have people lined up for most of what I'm doing uh, through the end of next year. Uh, we'll still be looking for some artists, especially, but uh, otherwise we're pretty much set. And But there will be future projects. And so I'm always looking for more people. And once in a while, someone has to drop out of a project or something like that. Something comes up and we need to fill that slot. And uh, you know, so I'm always looking for people who are interested in working with us. Um, but you know, others, they get, they get so many people that are interested, um, that, you know, they're not quite as open, but once you, the more you establish yourself, the better chance you have of, of connecting with those larger publishers, uh, which by the way, also tend to pay more. And so if you look at that with Twitter, you might get discovered, right? But at the same time, it's kind of like buying a lottery ticket every time you tweet. Maybe, you know, and, and maybe you're not spending money on it, but you're spending your time on it. And it's time that you could be spending writing or creating artwork or whatever it is that, you've, that you love to do. Right? And so instead of, of spending that time on Twitter and, and buying those, those lottery tickets of, of time and, and emotional investment, that, and, and yeah, the more you do, it's sort of like buying extra lottery tickets. You have a better chance of winning, but not a not a really big chance you know somebody wins every once in a while but chances of of hitting some big opportunity 
most people, when that happens to them, they've been at it for years and they've invested a lot of time. And so, you know, there's always exceptions. But on the other hand, if you follow that discord path and, and get involved in the creation, you have a much better chance. It's just going to go faster for you. And, and if you have quality stuff and you're a decent human being, all right, because personality matters, uh, not that you have to be uh, really outgoing or anything, but just kind and, um, and compassionate. Um, if, if that's the kind of uh, person you are, um, you, I mean, you're almost guaranteed to do well. Uh, to do at least get your name on projects and 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 start making uh, a little bit of money and um, now making a lot of money in this industry is really hard all right um, but to be able to and, and very very few people actually get that far but if you want to follow that path all right you want to set up a twitter account post a tweet like once a week once a month or something like that go in gets no people and that fine all right but discord tends to be a lot healthier when it comes to just mental health because the it doesn't have an algorithm that feeds on rage and and it's just it's just easier to actually get to know people on a on a more personal level to um to understand what people are about and actually have conversations twitter's just not good for that and um and so that's my two cents and i would love your feedback feel free to leave a comment uh send us an email or um or whatever i'd I'd really appreciate any feedback on that all right so all that said let's get into announcements Uh, first of all limitless heroics including characters with disabilities mental illness neurodivergence in fifth edition um by the time you read or, or hear or see this uh it may or may not be out it's it's right there we're just putting the the last touches on it and it may be coming out in the next day or two uh or it we've there's been just some uh edits last minute kinds of edits that we've been making and um and things like that accessibility issues uh that we've been clearing up just to make it as as good as we possibly can before putting out there and um and so if it's not out yet then just invite you to join the dragon's horde our email list because we treasure you uh to find out when it's available uh or and uh, and also we'll have some discounts available uh with the release and that'll be available through our email list uh, also announcing and and we'll have a discount available for you uh, a coloring book uh for we're getting to we're taking the art uh, from limitless heroics and we are um, creating a coloring book. This is a great gift for um, for for kids or adults. Uh, I I like that kind of thing for um, if if I'm doing something like if I'm playing D and D, especially if I'm playing as a player, uh, which I'm a forever DM. But um, in other situations where I want to pay attention, but I need to do something with my hands because of my ADHD, uh, coloring books are great for that. All right for kids just to um just to give them because coloring books are fun or just for adults because coloring books are fun uh we're making a coloring book and it features a lot of the artwork and um and, and characters from limitless heroics uh, which means that it's all about 
uh, disability representation. And besides just the, because coloring books are great, if you put this book in the hands of a child, right, and they're growing up coloring in this book, what are you doing? You instantly normalize disabled heroes in their life, all right? So when someone comes along later and says, no, disabled person can't be, you know, a, a D&D character or just, you know, a capable hero in general, right? They're, you know, mm, no, that, that's, not, that's not how I see the world, all right? And so uh, this is just a phenomenal way to, to connect, um, to, to communicate in a fun way uh, with kids to, uh, to help them to just consider a, um, a disabled hero to just be like any other hero. And so we will be releasing that uh, next week, uh, probably Monday. And the book also has quotes from a whole bunch of people that have submitted uh, quotes to us that are coming from disabled, neurodiverse, uh, mentally and chronically ill backgrounds. And, and speaking, uh, whether it's about their experiences or just uh, things that have helped them in, in, through their experiences, but it's all expressing their experiences and perspectives. And, uh, and so because we really care about hearing from people, representation is all about uh, letting those who you're representing um, communicate their experiences. And so... So we want to make sure to do that with this coloring book too. And, and so we've got a whole bunch of submitted quotes that are in there and just spread throughout the coloring book along with the pictures. And uh, so I invite you to, to check that out. Again, jump on our email list, the Dragon's Horde, and you just go to our website and, um, and you'll find this sign-up forms on every page in order to do that. And, uh, and you'll get a discount. So now, all that said, on to the interview. Inclusion is more than offering large print captions and ramps. It's a view of the world and how you think about the infinite variety of people and experiences. Given that variety, making your game space inclusive can be daunting or seemingly impossible, but we can help each other make that possible. Today, we welcome Caleb Bellarosa Jones to help with that. Welcome, Caleb. So sorry. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, so what would you like us to know about you personally, specifically speaking to the RPG crowd? I don't, I I guess I kind of want to preface that I don't consider myself a subject matter expert necessarily uh, in TTRPGs or, or RPGs um, in general. Um, but I think coming from a design and like research perspective, it's like a, a different um, way of looking at it. I mean, I love them. I'm not just kind of like... Um, an anthropological outsider, like looking in. Um, I, I love them, but I always kind of view myself more as a player and a fan first than I do of a an expert or someone who could get into the nitty gritty about the game design rules. But um, and obviously preaching to the choir. But I, I guess what I want people to know about RPGs is that they are a lot more powerful, uh, transformative tools than people realize, um, and that it's a lot of opportunities. Uh, for growth and world building and world imagining. And we can translate those skills from within role play games 
if we want to in outside of the games and uh, into the real world. Right. So tell us about your work in inclusive design. Yeah, so I have a, a master's in inclusive design um, from OCAD University, which is a art design school in Canada. Um, and I kind of went more into inclusive design as doing um, user experience design and user experience research, which is a lot more app focused. Um, and I became very passionate about design because digital products are not very often designed for a plethora of people. Um, but in there, the program, um, I became a lot more passionate and aware and kind of started going through my own journey about my own um, differences and, and disabilities. Like I'm neurodivergent, um, I'm autistic, and I have ADHD. It started kind of meaningfully exploring that and looking at the tools and things. That's how I got into the RPG side of inclusive design. Like outside of that, it's kind of more boring technical stuff about uh, web content that I do. But RPGs is um, the fun part where uh, you're looking not just how the game and the content is delivered, but also um, how you can play the game and alter games. And uh, I hate to use the word homebrew, but I feel like it's it's the closest analogy that we have because um, a lot of time when people talk about homebrewing something, I'm like, you didn't homebrew, like you just designed something. Like that's that's what design is. Like you're a designer. Like I'm not a designer. I just made this. I'm like, no, like it's the great equalizer. You, you just homebrewed a whole set of rules. That's that's what design is and a lot of people are homebrewing or designing their own inclusion tools which is um really awesome and then kind of through doing my research i got connected with different groups um and different folks like um like naomi Hazlett, uh who i i met through doing my thesis and um naomi was a, a godsend and, and really helped with it so tell me more about your thesis yeah, so um, I say thesis because it's technically a major research project, but um, it's essentially a thesis. It's a, a semantic, uh, academic <laughs> semantic. And um, so basically, um, I kind of walked into it with this theory that like through RPGs, you could help develop certain skills um, as a neurodivergent person um which would you know improve uh your quality of life so to speak um i'm not sure how familiar people are with aba but that's the like prototypical um treatment for autistic people um which is quite controversial to the the autistic community because it's it's kind of teaching you to suppress your own needs instead of advocating for them so there's been a lot of push well instead of teaching autistic people to appear less autistic or neurodivergent people to appear less neurodivergent to make other people more comfortable, why don't we teach them how to advocate for themselves and their needs? Um, and I recognized a lot of overlap with RPG because you're basically just role-playing scenarios. And like role-play is, I mean, it's still used in school when you are trying to learn something, whether you're doing nursing or, or what have you, you're role-playing different scenarios. Um, and so it kind of grew from there into 
not just could you develop these skills, but realizing through some of the reading that I was doing that through um, mine being specifically on Dungeons and Dragons, that all these facets of our world are represented in games, but disability is not explicitly. Um, like people have things like the combat wheelchair, or they might say my character is blind or deaf, but there's not like a meaningful mechanic that's necessarily associated with that. And in a game where the most impact is through mechanics, I thought, well, this ability should exist just as much as there's things you can't do. There are enhanced abilities um, from differences that you can do. It's it's all uh, circumstantial, which is kind of the inclusive design lens. People are more familiar with universal design, which is designing like one thing for everybody and there's eight principles about it, but inclusive design um, is bringing in the community to help design and also realizing that there's going to be conflicting um, needs for access and um, addressing that and trying to make a product that can meet multiple different people, um, including perhaps uh, not being one product, but being an adaptable product, so to speak. And so with that, so, okay, that was a lot of background. So the actual thesis itself. Um, so I got five neurodivergent adults, um, whether they were diagnosed or self-identified, and we played a bunch of Dungeons & Dragons sessions. Um, but before that, we did a co-design session where they designed a neurodiversity mechanic based on their own um, experiences. So um, there was ones about having special interests and like you could stay up all night and learn everything but a certain topic, but you would have exhaustion points or um, people having anxiety and panic attacks or having to roll for a wisdom saving throw if they had to be in a, a very large public space, like things representing their real world experiences. And then um, they played five sessions, uh, went through the game, had certain experiences, which I write about, and then um, had a really great time. And, and they're actually still all playing. So they, they kept it going, which is really exciting. That's great. I mean, that, that's a good, that's a good sign. That means that it's the, that uh, there's practical application and, and it, it's actually helping to make that connection. It's not just theory. Yeah. Um, and it, it was really interesting. So like the impactful thing about it was, um, so some people really enjoyed it because they're like, well, it made me change how I thought about role playing. So that was just more fun in general because, um, like you might say, you know, my, my character is really anxious and you role play that, but how does that manifest in other parts of the game? Um, so actually saying like, oh, like I have an anxiety mechanic um, where if it's in a social situation, I'm going to be on disadvantage because of charisma. But um, if it's like a high pressure, intense fight, my anxiety kicks in and I'm like really good in like a high stress situation and I'll have advantage on. Um, and it made them think about it. So people enjoy the role play aspect, but then other people um, really liked that it made them think about themselves differently and kind of give some grace and some space to be like, you know, it, it's very easy to kind of have like this internalized ableism about there's something wrong with me. 
um, my my you know like we heard about like bad brain days and it's like well i'm not a bad person because of this i just need extra space and like you know with ttrpgs and rpgs usually like you kind of have a team makeup to balance each other out and in life it's kind of taking that space to realize that oh today like my constitution isn't so great i need someone in my circle to like step up and and help me um and so there was like some really interesting like realizations that that people had yeah it's funny oftentimes i think that if uh the 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 more uh popular dnd gets um the more uh we can just start using um mechanics language and in, in our regular conversations and, and say yeah i need a short rest right now because uh <laughs> literally a few more spell points and <laughs> yeah and that was the the funniest thing is that it becomes kind of a an easy shorthand for talking about yourself and like one of the things that i thought was really funny um not with with dnd uh like with the alignment chart, not that it's like necessarily like a, a hardcore rule, but one of the things I thought was very funny was they always talked about, you know, this like introvert extrovert binary, whether you subscribe to it or not. But like some days having a more introvert day, sometimes having a more extrovert day, sometimes having an ambivert, and like it's so hard to explain to people who don't get it. And one of them just made up a alignment chart for introversion. So you're <laughs> like, oh, today I'm a functioning extrovert. <laughs> And it was just like the funniest thing that they kind of like took it and made their own, did the inverse of taking D&D language out, but using it as a framework to describe their experiences and taking that into it. I love that. Now I want to design outer planes based on that. <laughs> right. I was like, that's like the best way to put it. Be like, today I'm a quiet extrovert, but like I'm feeling extroverted. I don't need a long rest. <laughs> Oh yeah, so I'm just I'm just imagining um, because I'm I'm pretty solid introvert that um, I'm, I'm I'm imagining the the sort of plane of extroversion which I would that would be like my abyss. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be like the extra extra like hard final boss like level area. <laughs> it's just like everyone's in your face all the time and and stuff and and, and it's all small talk. There's there's like no 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 conversations of substance at all <laughs> oh man i'm gonna have nightmares <laughs> everyone only talks about the weather <laughs> and the big game you don't know what the big game is but... right yeah yep. you're completely unfamiliar <laughs> oh man all right um what else can you tell us about your uh, project i mean there's there's a lot there's kind of like the 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 core parts of it are this idea of like three major kind of tenants that hold it up and the first one being bleed which people are familiar with um but uh emancipatory bleed which is um this theory about how bleed can also help with um like liberation and self-advocacy skills like i mentioned um it's a theory from um Janaya Kemper uh who is an RPG anthropologist but basically about when you're navigating an in-game oppression or in-game systems um and situations like 
that you might actually deal with in the real world, you're, you're developing, practicing those skills and also experiencing a catharsis to take that outside. So that was a really interesting theory. And then also actually seeing it, um, again, like with one player talking about the opportunity to be vulnerable, um, and like having these situations being highly introverted and having anxieties. So the character having this moment where um, someone was short with them and it wasn't a big deal, but like actually that would have hurt and they would have thought they did something wrong. And instead of just brushing it off in real life and just getting over it, giving the space and having that cathartic moment to be vulnerable and, and be like, it's okay to feel this way. It's not a bad thing. You didn't do anything wrong, but you're still allowed to feel some type of way about it. And then the other big thing uh, is a lot about safety tools um, and their importance to to make games more um, accessible to people. Um, and like there are specific safety tools, but it was also kind of just the notion of safety tools as a practice um, and as a continuing tool and dialogue uh to to make people feel comfortable about advocating for their needs um because we we did a safety tool exercise before the game um the one page tool which i really like and it had a lot of questions like okay your character wants to turn evil when should this happen it should never happen it should only happen after we've all discussed it it should only happen if the dm allows it the dm would decide um how would we handle an in-game death like so to get people's comfort level um and so the sense of psychological safety that was developed by talking about it and so like one of the really big impactful moments for me in the in the thesis was setting the stage for safety tools and psychological safety that players came forward and said the way we're playing is kind of confusing and making me anxious can we modify it um because i kind of need to talk to understand what other people are thinking so it wasn't even so much like an actual you know when we think of access we think of like you said wheelchair ramps screen readers which are important but this was just about their communication um and he came to the group, they talked about it. Um, and then they role-played it in the game as well, in their characters being like, oh, like I'm really stressed out when they're fighting. You guys keep going in guns blazing, so to speak. And and I don't know what's going on. It stresses me out. And then they talked through it and had like a really beautiful moment um, and then modified how they played. And um, so I think the big takeaway from that was about like you said, inclusion being a mindset at the start. Um, and I don't know, like people are very into like rules as written or like the game book is the Bible, but if that's how you want to play, you're going to alienate a lot of awesome players. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel. To, uh, <laughs> to, to paraphrase, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the book was made for the group, not the group for the book. <laughs> Yes, that's that's totally it because the same safety tools are not and like communication techniques are not going to work between groups because I play, you know, with other groups whether I DM for them or not. Um, and it, it's so different. And even if you rewrite the book, so to speak, to make it work for a group, it's it's not made for that group. The group was made differently. Um, 
Yeah. No, absolutely. And and it's so much of that. And I keep seeing this over and over. Just just the whole um, the culture of of open communication of of um, the kind of the idea that your feelings, your your needs matter. And um, and so it's important that the environment be such that you can communicate um, those needs because I, I see so often um, I'll see uh, online posts where, where people say I'm having this problem with the player I'm having this problem with the DM or whatever and like what do I do and and like the answer every time is talk, talk to them, to them. <laughs> right? but the thing is that's not always you know usually if if they're coming you know, to some online forum somewhere where they're asking this question, it means the communication is, has broken down somewhere mm-hmm. or, or maybe was never, you know, there in the first place. And, uh, and so, yes, the answer is talk to them, but it's before that, the, you know, the sort of step back uh, sort of session negative one is to, um, to have a culture in the first place where people can talk about it and feel comfortable with that and and not feel like um like there's going to be some kind of backlash or um or that they're not important or or something like that yeah um that's like a huge a huge thing to overcome like i mean obviously communication is like (laughs) probably one of the most important skills people develop and also the hardest thing that people mess up um somehow but it was like I don't know because it'd be it would be so interesting to the exact same like project that I did with a different group. It might not work. Like it's so much about the people themselves, and and I always say all research is only ever about the people that you're you're doing it on. Um, so you can't extrapolate it to all people, um, whether that's a small study of five people or a big study of five hundred people. It can tell you some things that you can learn from it and some possibilities. Uh, of things that you observe, but I feel like if you can overcome that fear of being vulnerable, so to speak, to discuss your uh, your needs um, in a game as a player or as a DM, that it can help a lot. Because that was the thing that in the group they said it was a lot easy going into the space a lot easier because they knew everyone in the group was neurodivergent. So they were going to be a little different, so to speak. Um, Because like, I don't know, I think they're (laughs) obviously it's a huge overlap in uh, RPG gamers and and neurodivergent community, um, in my experience at least. And But they kind of knew going in it wasn't going to be a certain type of negative experience they had before in previous games um, with people being ableist or other istinisms. Um, so there was a sense of comfort there, but not only knowing that they were neurodivergent, but talking about it because there was some like probing group questions um, in our co-design session about Dungeons and Dragons. Like we did what's called a rose bud thorn which is like a co-design activity where you talk about a rose or something good a bud something that could be improved in a thorn um and i expected it to be a lot more stuff about the game and the rules itself which there was but a lot of it was um like their interpersonal experiences and not like feeling accepted into a group 
Um, but talking through that and being like, well, I was with this DM and he was really sexist and that made it a really bad experience or, or whatever, um, talking about it and experiences they had, that were negative and feeling misunderstood. They really bonded and were able to be vulnerable in their future. So it, it was, um, I think really impactful to the process of, uh, fostering those conversations. So it's, it's like you said, it's like setting a foundation as a group, um, I know some people just want to have a game and go and not interact, which is fine. But I think it's a lot easier when there is um, some underlying trust built. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you, when you, when you can trust the players, then it's easier to trust the characters. You know, you your 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 characters are going to on when the players bond better and when the, when the, you know, you when you don't have to worry about, okay, well, what if, if my character makes this move, um, you know, what's going to happen or how are people going to react to it? And, and, uh, what if I, you know, what if I mess up? We had, we were playing one time, um, and, uh, there was a, a giant spider and the, the sort of tour guide, the commoner, uh, there was right by it. And, and the giant spider is going after the commoner. And, um, and so, uh, one of the guys goes, uh, I thunder wave the, the spider. Well, that took care of the spider, but uh, <laughs> it also killed the commoner that he was trying to rescue. I mean, he felt terrible about it, you know, but, you know, we, we just, we kind of, we, we dealt with it, it, you know, in the story and, and stuff and, um, you know, and, and work through it and that, but it was, it was like, yeah, um, oops. Uh, but you know like well things happen and um and and sometimes actions have unintended consequences but you know we um still everyone supports each other and uh and 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 so you know we just keep going and, and it's all right and um and and no one's gonna uh get on your case about it or anything and um and and so yeah when you when you have a, an environment where you where you know that okay you're you are you know valued here uh for who you are and and um and and we're just going to accept you wherever you're at then um it's it just it, it it changes the dynamic of the game mm -hmm. and the safety to fail like um when you in general with rpgs like there's a safety to fail because there's not like you know, you're not going to kill a commoner in real life and get, right. you know, 25 to life. Um, there's a safety to fail, but when you have that safety to fail with your group, it's a whole other other difference. Um, I know one of the things that came up a lot in the co-design and, and the session was the talk of metagaming, which um, people really don't like um, for, you know, people have different preferences, but I think as 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 the group kind of got more comfortable, I don't know there wasn't like necessarily metagaming. There was like a little bit of degree, but as they got more comfortable and had that safety to fail, that it was, it's okay to make a mistake, and they they didn't have to feel like they were letting down their party, so to speak. Um, since, sorry, I'm like struggling to find this train of thought. <laughs> um, sure. No, it, it's a game. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's when a it game. comes down to it, it's a game. It's about having fun. It's not, you know, yeah, you you have a goal and and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, 
you're you're there to have fun. You're not there to you know solve the world's problems. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, in in the uh, in in the midst of it, you may learn something that helps you make the world better. Um, but at the same time, it's it's not you know. At the end of the day, you can say, well. Okay, that didn't work out. You know, let's uh, do a different adventure, or or even, hey, let's do this adventure again, and um, you know, make different choices this time. Like you yeah. can do that. <laughs> well, and that's the thing I think about the soft skills, so to speak, that you develop uh, in D and D are so important because obviously there's like math, because <laughs> dice, um, and other like hard skills, but talking about how to solve a problem is ultimately going to be like more beneficial than whatever problem or puzzle or monster you solve or defeat. Um, And like you said, try again next time. It's not, (laughs) it might be the end of a world, a fictional world, but (laughs) it's not the end of the world. Yep. All right, so you just rescued a genie from the hands of an Efrati, and it offers you three wishes to achieve your goals to make the world better. What do you wish for? I feel like this is the hardest question. My my first instinct <laughs> is to say, like, well, like, all the prejudice-isms are gone. But I feel like that is, like, a very baseline. I think there's, like, very actionable things that I could wish for, like... Um, international universal basic income and universal health care um, as well as the ism, prejudice isms being odd, all the and phobias and then I feel like lastly like I just feel everyone should have just a, a really good hobby, it can change um, but I feel a lot of people don't necessarily get enough of a chance to explore hobbies, obviously, because they don't necessarily have enough healthcare or universal basic income. But um, I like personally, one of the very transformative things about doing my thesis was um, realizing how much I wasn't making space for hobbies. Um, it's a lot easier when you know your your homework is to sit in on a D and D session <laughs> every week for a month. But when you realize, like, oh, if I never do a hobby until I'm done my work, well, there's always going to be more work. Um, so I think taking time to like meaningfully do a hobby um, or, or whether it's a game or, or carpentry or crochet, everyone gets time and funds to do hobbies. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's so important, and and the reality is that I feel really called out right now, <laughs> and 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 ironically because my work is you know D and D, um, that uh, it's it's easy to to turn you know what a hobby that turned into a job um, to to make it not a hobby, and hugely. Uh, so it's this one of those things that you can be um, even if you love whatever your sort of your job, your career or whatever, um, that you need downtime and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, I, and I'm, <clears throat> I know I'm, I'm terrible at the whole self-care thing. Uh, thankfully in my case, um, my wife will, will say, Hey, uh, spend some time with me. And, um, and, and like, that's my favorite thing in the world. So, so it's like, Oh, 
okay yeah and it's like oh, well i gotta get this done okay but <laughs> oh yeah all right so, but <laughs> you wouldn't think that you know it would take that much convincing but um you know it's sometimes it's just, it does i'm yeah. i'm the same way my my husband's also the same way so we're kind of like taking turns being like we need to spend some time together <laughs> stop working so much mm-hmm. yeah all right so what one message would you like to give to neurodiverse gamers I like I want to say rules are made to be broken even that's such a cliche and I like I kind of like threw up a little bit in my mouth saying it but like <laughs> screw all the rules or conventions about how you are supposed to play any uh RPG uh, create a table where rules are meant to be broken and change the rules so that they work for you and your brain on any given day because you know um neurodivergence is not it's going to fluctuate about how you feel and how how you can do certain activities and it's okay to change the rules on a session to session basis if everyone's having fun um do safety tools break this like convention of like you have to play in a specific way um all the time and uh I guess it's like 10 things I'm saying. Rules are meant to be broken and break them consensually. (laughs) Well, I like that. I like it. Break them consensually. Yeah. All right. So what one message would you like to give to neurotypical gamers? Um, I guess the flip side would be like help people break rules. Um, I find even myself, whether it's in an RPG or another setting, it's, it's so scary to ask people to do things differently than they have um and especially when you couch it in the language of accommodations people hate accommodations but people love things that are technically accommodations people love glasses (laughs) that is an accommodation for a disability but people don't like to think of it that way because disability is the bad word quote quote um it's not but help people break rules um, and help people think of how to break rules. Um, whether that's just changing something, I think that's the the best thing is that uh, neurotypical and um, able-bodied gamers, not just in games, but also in the gaming community for conventions and and events and everything, uh, really need to like show up and and help people break rules and modify. Um, our little microcosms of society and our game tables to then translate that to the the wider world. Yeah. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so um so yeah I see you're you're working on this uh the this big project. Um is there anything else that you're working on right now that you want to talk about? Nothing huge. Like right now I'm kind of taking a little like break after finishing my master's and kind of figuring out um the next step i i I do kind of want to do a follow-up and a part two and uh a living i want it to kind of be a living document of like where neurodivergent people could come in and and add their tools and it could have like a million appendices um but it's nothing in the works it's kind of just like it's ruminating in my brain to uh to do that so um 
nothing, nothing. It's more, it's like the twinkle in my eye of, of a project. Okay. So we will have all your contact information in our show notes, but where is the one best place that you'd like people to start to learn more about you or to contact you? Um, probably Twitter. Um, I'm queer nerd without vowels. So QRNRD on Twitter. Um, and I, I have my my like link in my bio to to all my other stuff, and I link to my thesis there, and and talk about podcasts or games or or things that I'm guesting on there. So I'm everywhere you can find queers and nerds on the internet, but mm-hmm. Twitter is is probably my central locale. All right, well, Caleb, thanks so much for coming on the show. Everyone, check out those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. a big shout out to uh to all of our patrons that help us on a monthly basis to to do what we do and and want to let you know that uh everyone who uh, even uh, backs us at the uh at the three dollar a month level gets access to the dragon's lair which gives you access to almost all of the content that we create and in a modular format that makes it really easy to work with, to, to use. And um, so I invite you to check that out. And we have a link to the Dragon Slayer in the show notes. And, and so this month, a big shout out to John. Thank you so much uh, for coming and supporting us. So if you see the show being helpful, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like button. If you'd like to see more, subscribe. If you know people that need to hear this, pass it on to them. And if you, like me, think that everybody needs to hear this, pass it on to your social media friends. And don't forget those podcast ratings. Thanks so much for joining us to make lives better with D&D. And so we close with this question. What do you do to make your party as diverse as possible? <laughs>